This is Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got Mr. Sarcastic Ricky Hyatt. Dave Hilda Pryor's here. Our financial wizard, Adam Davis, is here. And making up a purely fans edition, it's Ian Welsh. I'm on technical duties today, so I won't be involved. Size of relief all round. So settle down, relax, get a cup of tea, and let's have a bit of football banter, shall we? And good evening, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Football Bloody Hell. And we've got another Wednesday special for you this evening, and my guests are as follows with Mr. Rick Hyatt. How are you doing, Rick? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for asking, David. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for asking me back, Flower. I'm delighted to say that the published Adam Davis is back on the show. How are you doing, Adam? Very well, thank you. My ego is doing uh, the world of good, thanks to yourself. We're here to promote Adam. That is what we're here to do. And making up the podcast this evening, we have the stadium announcer at Hewish Park, Mr Ian Welch, joins us. How are you doing, Ian? Hi, Dave. You all right? I'm not so bad, sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Voice is getting ready for the weekend. Excellent. Yeah. Do you have to do your little vocal warm-ups before the big, the yeah, big games pretty, on the Saturday, do you? Yeah, pretty much now. It's all rehearsed now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, sticking with Yeovil Town then, because obviously it all kicked off last weekend. Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you, because we did touch on the the game, obviously the defeat. Um, at the weekend to, to Hemel, but they've got a chance to put it right with four home games in a row, starting with St Albans. But like we just touched on on Monday, looking ahead to that St Albans match, it's not necessarily going to be straightforward, is it? Because for anyone who doesn't necessarily, or is not necessarily all that familiar with St Albans, they were in and around the playoffs last season, I believe. And I think they're one of those teams that if you take out Yeovil and Torquay out of the equation, that they're in the conversation to do quite well this year. I think they are. I think the um, all you have to do is look at the Hemel-Hempstead score to know that no game should be taken as a given at any point in this league this year. I think there was definitely a case of that definitely came across as an element of naivety in judging from the uh, interviews that came after the match or the not quite knowing what to expect with um, 
on behalf of the players and the managers. And I think that's going to massively change into this next one. And it has to, because you're absolutely right. St. Albans played very, very well last uh, last year. Uh, I'm pretty sure their main striker is still Sean Jeffers, who was mm. pretty useless for us, but it seemed to have done pretty well for St. Albans. So uh, all the power to him. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really, really interesting test. And inevitably, they will have learned an awful lot from Saturday. In terms of what the fans can expect, Ian, putting you on the spot a little bit, um, I've seen that the, I believe the fan park is going to is going to be ready, and there is a um, a band that's been announced. Are you able to elaborate any more than that, or what fans might be able to expect to see on their first league game back at Hewish Park? Uh, yeah, very very similar to um, what's happened at Somerset County Cricket Club. Really, um, a a stage is soon to be erected. Um, sponsors written all over it, but that's what keeps it going i think i think the band are called storm and they are kicking off from half past 12 till two o'clock and um they there'll be a bar open around the thatcher's end and anyone with a home match ticket is more than welcome to come in so i think the idea is to get people in early um and get people spending the whole day at hewish park rather than just arriving at five to three and then at about Quarter two, maybe ten to three. Martin's going to go for a little parade around the pitch, which we have rehearsed a lot, and we will continue to rehearse. He, he's um, he's chosen two songs, which are um, interesting, and um, <laughs> and will remain secret. I'm assuming. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, the first one, it, once you get over the laughter, it's actually got a very good meaning to it. Bless him. And they are both chosen by him. Uh, I look forward to getting all the stick on social media directly after because they're not exactly pre-match pumping. Uh, and uh, we have a brand new video as well, which is linked to sound and linked to the music and linked to lights. It's all going on. So, yeah, we might be kicking off at about four o'clock at Hewish Park, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rick, with all that in mind, obviously... It, it's good that we've all we've got this stuff. It's well documented of what's gone on um, off the field and the position that we now find themselves in. But we need to make sure that we're in a position where come ten to five, five o'clock, that we're we're celebrating getting off the mark. That's the most important thing, isn't it? Especially after after last week's last week's result. But um, you'd expect a reaction from the players after that. If if they were naive, if they weren't aware of what they were up against for the rest of the season, they're pretty sure of it now. And so a home game is absolutely ideal. And it also coincides, obviously, with uh, Ian's pyrotechnics and, and everything else that's going on. So it could be an absolutely massive day. Let's hope it doesn't all fall flat on its face because uh, I'm going to miss it. I'll be off playing cricket. So, uh, yeah, keep my seat warm. Uh, yeah, I can do that. Of course, you can catch that on Three Valleys Radio. And I will be there. Bit. I'll be live on air around about... Five to three, light show permitting. Possibly. Are we not having a light show and songs <laughs> chosen by the chairman and stuff? Then we're just going to do commentary. Yeah, I, I doubt the light show will even work because it'll be middle of the day. Let's be honest. Already <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thought that through, have they? No, they they haven't really. I just looked for the video. On, um, yeah, Dave, that could be your challenge. You could describe the video of what's on the screen to the yeah. listeners. That uh, yeah, I, I can commentary. give it a go. I can give it a go. Anything that long, will enhance the... As long, uh, as, the as, as long as I'm not bowling, I'll be listening. So <laughs> I, I would like a, a very vivid description, please. Absolutely. And to go along with that, Adam, three points as well, hopefully. 
I think that's I'm more excited about what this uh, hidden songs are than the, than the points. I think the points is we hopefully hope for those as well. But uh, yeah, the the illusion of it all is equally as exciting. Well, play to Martin though, putting on making a big deal of it and, and having mm. a, being an event and hopefully it's something that uh, we get some momentum on the field. That word again and again with the off the field stuff and people get into a habit of coming in early. And creating an atmosphere. I mean, that would be really, that would be really cool. Yeah, not quite so good when you've got time pressures like I will have in my ear for about twenty minutes before kickoff. Oh yes, we're, we're trying we're to start about three. <laughs> and just and, before um, we, oh, go on in, go on in. I don't know if you guys know, but um, no fourth officials as well, which is very, very strange. Oh, I don't think I, I, I realised that. Is that um to do with? Is that just a, not a requirement as it is for this level? Yeah. So Dan the Kitman is now our um, substitution board guy, and he will do the minutes as well. When I uh, when I did some work at York when they were in the National League North, it was equally as bizarre when you looked at it and just thought that guy's wearing a York kit and he's meant to be an independent official, but it turns out no, doesn't need to. It takes some getting used to. Ah, oh, that would have been quite a good sort of fan competition then to get to stand there and and show everybody the board of the minutes because as we as we spoke about on monday as well the minutes are going to be much more um this time around um is that right down to national league sub yeah yeah so, um, so we, it's um, a directive across all leagues is that right in yeah so um this year the scoreboard will continue past 90 minutes so uh, part of the league requirement is that any additional time um, instead of stopping it at 45 and 90, we'll keep going until the... Did you have to send the board back to say it doesn't go above 90? <laughs> and then I hear his part. <laughs> like Spinal Tap's uh, amp, it goes up to 11 now. Is that a Three Valleys exclusive there, Rick? Well, I don't know. Have you ever seen Spinal Tap? You know what I'm talking about. It's all very weird, though. I must admit, seeing Dan the Kitman in the middle of the park, <laughs> halfway line with the board up, is just... Very, very strange. Well, moving moving on from from Yeovil then, because as I say, we've got a bit of a preview show this evening, but there was also lots of um, news that broke today. I guess the biggest one, um, Adam, I'll throw it back to you, was Wolves losing their manager today in, in Lopetegui. But if you look at the reports over the last five days or so, it definitely had that air of, of one that was coming. And not only... Um, is he on his way out? But they've also um, found his replacement already in, in Gary O'Neill. What have you made of the whole affair? If I was a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, I would be very, very concerned. I think there is a lot of problems going on at that club that are more to do with off the field. There is definitely a looming fear over FFP. There is definitely a looming issue over the ownership of the club. I was just going to ask you that, Adam, if you've got a little intel on their um, financial um, side of things, because I'm guessing, well, if rumours are to be believed, that that was pretty much the reason of why the manager ended up leaving. Yeah, and that's very, very common up and down the leagues for it to have something like that. But it's, yeah, it's particularly worrying given the the huge level of spending that Wolves have previously done, I think they're starting to go, there's an element of going in the same direction that Everton went down, uh, which was obviously really, really pushing on the FFP perspective. They lost a lot of money over COVID. A lot of their signings that more recently have not been, I would say, up to scratch as they had been when they first arrived in the Premier League. Um, it's it's a real concern 
generally for them. They're still making fairly decent money, but they lost well over £40 million last year in one year alone, which is really quite high. And they've not been able to make up with that with any signings of any real note. They've lost um, people like Ruben Neves and Jean Moutinho and Raul Jimenez, players that were sort of players we... We came to associate with Wolves for quite a while now, and that's been largely to get rid of them off the wage bill due to the, uh, I think, looming issues there. The ownership is a Chinese consortium. They have been since they got promoted. Um, There are wide-scale political changes out in China at the moment that are still suffering from issues that are related to COVID, uh, as well as general lack of interest in investing in football anymore, right from the very top of China, which we saw when they first bought the club. It's why we also see problems at West Brom at the moment as well. So, yeah, a real concern for them there. On terms of the managerial side, Lopetegui is... An excellent manager, he got them out of a hole, but his chances are very expensive. If he can't, uh, and if he doesn't have the budget to work with, I think he was in a position to to walk away. Whereas Gary O'Neill has worked with limited budgets. He is an excellent coach, did wonderful stuff with Bournemouth. I think he was unfairly sacked at the end of last year. So perhaps he can do some real interesting stuff. Whether he can do it with, what is it, four days till the beginning of the season, could be um, less than ideal. Yeah, what have you made of the the appointment they've brought in, Rick? Because, you know, from a fan's perspective, when you lose someone like Lopetegui, who's become, has got a reputation and he's, you know, he's been with the Spanish national team, won the Europa League with Sevilla, who hasn't won the Europa League with Sevilla. But you no, know, in all seriousness, they he was Real Madrid manager as well for a stint. To obviously go from that sort of pedigree to somebody who was who got the job at Bournemouth because obviously what happened with Scott Parker and then they made a change in the summer. So you can understand the underwhelming nature of it from the fans' perspective. But at the same time, maybe he's probably the best of what's available that you could argue when you've only got five games before their Monday night game against United. Yeah, you could argue that finally they're cutting their cloth according to their finances. They haven't done it with players previously. Now they've been forced into a situation where they've got to do it with the manager, who, as Adam said, I think he was harshly harshly treated at Bournemouth with the job he did He did there. So uh, it, in that sense, it's not a bad appointment managerially. It's not an ideal time. Three-year deal? Are you surprised at that? But a three-year deal? Mm-hmm. is not worth the paper it's written on, is it? So well, yeah, that's it doesn't very really, true. All that means is the amount of time they have to pay him up when they give him the, well, yeah. give him the push. So, But then again, it's see your financial fair play come into bite everybody except the big boys from Stockport, it seems. Before I elaborate on that, before I elaborate on, I shouldn't have taken a sip of drink as you just finished that comment. But um, Ian, I'll throw it to you because you're you're a, I would say you're, fair to say you're a Gary O'Neill fan, aren't you, of what he did at at Bournemouth last season? So do you see that one being a a good fit? Or as Adam's alluded to, do you think it might be more that his hands are tied a little bit because of the financial situation and it might be a bit of a struggle for them this year yeah I like Gary O'Neill I think he's got I think he's done very well he did very well with Bournemouth sort of came out of nowhere he got quite a few youngsters um into from the academy into first team football so I'd probably suggest that's what he needs to do at Wolves he's not going to get much backing let's be honest but Adam is right it's it's a whole Chinese situation same at West Brom same at Wolves but Wolves have got a massive fan base. Their fan base is humongous. I wonder what they will make of it. Yeah, like I say, I think it's one of those where 
it's probably the right appointment in terms of what they can yeah. bring in now. But Adam, like we touched on, when you compare it to somebody's CV like Lopetegui has, then obviously you can understand the the underwhelming feeling that's probably amongst most of the fan base at the moment. I, I think it's a, a feeling of worrying the club has gone a little bit stale or a little bit asleep at the wheel, uh, particularly at the very top there that assumed that they'd always be all right. They'd always perform quite well. They obviously made an astronomical run when they first took over at the club and got up as far as... Is this a warning to the likes of Brighton, Adam, that even though things are going really well, that it only takes a couple of seasons to, you know, not necessarily take your eye off the ball, but feel like that you can't, you know, if you felt that you've overspent in one season try and then make sure that you balance everything and before you know it you're in a situation where you kind of find yourself in um sort of a do or die situation before the season starts i think i think uh from a financial perspective outside of perhaps seven clubs in the premier league every single one of them can conceivably be relegated at any one point at any year all we had to do is look at the fact that Leicester got went down yeah. last year. Southampton had been e- very well established uh, for a previous ten years. Leeds, Leeds are very much a similar bracket to Wolves, where they had a decent rise under an interesting manager and didn't necessarily sign as well as they could have done. And back down, they plummeted to where. Adam, Rick I can't believe you've managed to bring be. up Leeds onto a podcast <laughs> when we're doing, we're coming up to a Premier League preview, and Rick's going to be like, "Oh, I can't even talk about Leeds this year." and then you've you've popped them in already i'm sure i'll be really pleased with that <laughs> oh i'm very sorry but it's it is it is true though i think there's, there's a lot of similarities um between them i don't think it's necessarily quite as fear for brighton brighton seem to have a very clear set out strategy and have got an excellent recruitment policy and clearly are very very there's a very strong culture within it that i think it stands above pretty much all other premier league sides but financially, based on who can they bring in, how much they can spend, um, everyone outside of about seven clubs can realistically be relegated. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It, it it only takes three or four duds to really spell true issues at the club. Moving on to the transfer bids that we've seen today, because, Rick, I'll, I'll throw it to you, because it looks oh, as though uh, Manchester, you going. Manchester United are now going to accept... 30 million for for Maguire and West Ham look like it, the same price has now been accepted for Ward Prowse as well. We spoke about the fact that West Ham are really struggling to get deals over the line, but it looks like that they might now be motoring on with a couple of uh, David Moyes' targets now. Yeah, it looks that way. Barry's finally on his on his way out of uh, Old Trafford, going to lose one of the Chuckle Brothers, which is obviously very disappointing. But it's 30 million, and more importantly. Uh, it's 20 million off the wage bill, potentially. So it's more than just people are saying there's a massive drop from the 80 million that United paid for him. But then just from a club's point of view, as I'm sure Adam will, will back me up on this, that it's all the tie-ons and add-ons that go with players as well. It's not just, it's what you're losing off of one column makes a hell of a difference. And yeah, look, and he's been put under pressure, I think, from, from Gareth needs him to be playing uh, it's probably good for all parties, isn't it? I think so. I think so. Because uh, it's not, in all honesty, he had one, he had a couple of seasons where he was outstanding at United and then it fell off a cliff and very rarely do players come back on it after that once it's once it's gone to the point of no return. It's very difficult to get back. And when you're fifth choice centre-back behind your left back, 
I think the writings the writings on the on the on the wall for him. And um, Ward Prowse again, proven Premier League player. I think it's uh, good good business by the football genius that is David Moyes. Ian, I can see you smirking there. Who You're are not... you laughing about? Go on. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate? <laughs> oh, it's just Man United talk, isn't it? I was yeah, I was hoping for your sake, Ian, that being on the podcast today that that yeah. news wouldn't have broken today, but unfortunately it did. <laughs> I mean I'm pleased for Ward Prowse. He shouldn't be in the championship, but I think thirty million for Maguire is way too much, but there we go. It's the world we live in. What do you think, Adam? Is it do you think it's probably one of those prices that like we've touched on that United probably want as much as they can considering how much they spent from in the first place versus West Ham have got loads of money because of Rice. I think it's actually quite a good price for him. I I've, I thought that this would easily be the sort of thing that we see come out as 45, 50 million pounds, subject to the fact that it's an English player. Uh, he's still the right side of 30. He is capable of being a very good centre-back, albeit his confidence is absolutely shot to pieces. And, and you know, there's a full list of players that you can reel off in, in that type of uh, situation. I think it massively benefits all parties. Man United clearly aren't looking for him, to, or at least aren't looking to make him part of the plans anymore. You're quite right. Back end of the season, Luke Shaw was playing above him out of position. That's, yeah, that's, that's as much writing on the wall as you need. Um, West Ham need a centre-back. West Ham need players that have a little bit more steel because there's a lot of incredibly excellent technical players. They've lost Declan Rice. And it was dragged out by the fact that everybody knew that West Ham got £100 million to play with. So and we, we've talked about this loads of times on the podcast where when when the clubs know that the others have got more money than they are willing to, than they're perhaps looking to give out, they always know that they're going to try and squeeze a little bit more out. Man United have it subjected to them all the time. So perhaps they've finally been able to uh, to do it to someone else. One that I have found a bit of a strange one that's sort of been picking up steam over the last 48 hours or so is Arsenal looking to bring in the Brentford goalkeeper, Ray, who's been linked with quite a few high-profile clubs, including Bayern. And suddenly over the last few days, there's been talk of possibly... Ramsdale not necessarily being um, Arteta's preferred option and obviously looking at someone like Ray and at £40 million you would expect him to want to at least come in as a number one. Ian, have you found this quite a bizarre one just from the outside looking in that they'd want almost another number one goalkeeper? Very, very bizarre. I I don't... I, I Well, clearly there's something that we don't see about Ramsdale. On the face of it, when we see him in games, he's absolutely fantastic. He's probably one of the best shot stoppers was around. Was again in the Community Shield, wasn't he? He had a really good game in yeah, the, last yeah. week. Kept them in it by all accounts. But it, it does. Um, I just wonder if it's like one of those um, the managers doing a bit of psychological thing there of I'm going to get someone who's go, who's going to perform at your level, so then you're going to be a bit better and your levels will go up a bit. I, I don't know if it's a bit of psychology by Arteta. But I did also see, actually, it was um, Arsenal's media day and Arsenal's um, therapy dog has got his own little Instagram now because he, they, they were able to take some pictures of him. What do you know? Are you able to give out the, to the listeners the um, the Instagram handle if they want to give that a follow? <laughs> no, because I can't find it. I will do. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in terms of that transfer though rick are you, are you surprised to see that because if for instance it is as ian says to kind of give ramsdale that little bit of a um a kick if he feels that he needs it but at the same time if you're trying to sell the transfer to Raya and saying well you're not necessarily going to be my number one um are you just surprised that this is kind of looks like it's going to get done now so it's an awful lot of money to pay for a, a backup goalkeeper if he's not going to get games but then arsenal obviously are an, are an easy sell now that they they won the world cup on 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 sunday so who wouldn't want to go and and be part of uh, Arteta's marvellous group of individuals. I might be able to provide a little bit more context to it than uh, than Rick's comments. Please, please. Um, so I have a friend who is quite well connected to Arsenal. That's always mentioned. a good start. <laughs> always, always a good start, I know. But he, he mentioned, I actually spoke to him yesterday about this because I questioned him about why sign someone so expensive as a backup keeper. What he highlighted was it actually might look like Ramsdale will become the backup. The reason because uh, it's all to do. This is where it gets into the reams of um, conjecture. And really, um, the Arsenal goalkeeping coach, who has been part of Arteta's setup since he joined the club, is formerly of Brentford and raised and coached David Rea for about three or four years whilst at Brentford before he moved to Arsenal. They've all been a bit chummy with each other and have had these conversations and have suggested that perhaps Raya is a better fit for how Arteta would like to play. There was rumours of discomfort from Arteta's side on how well Ramsdale played in the back end of the season, did have a bit of a drop off in form. And this could very much be seen as more of a, a kick up um, the rear end to, to maintain the competition needed for Arsenal. So I guess in many ways you could kind of compare it okay i'm not directly comparing the the abilities of the goalkeepers but like for instance when chelsea obviously had a very good goalkeeper in check but then they had um courtois didn't they out on loan and then he came in and it was a case of well courtois just has to play because he's back now he's on the books and you know if you weigh up the two goalkeepers regardless of how well checks done last season courtois has to play so i guess it's a little bit adam then of um if you've got a keeper that's available and you think he's better than what you've got, regardless of how good a season he's had, you just kind of make the call. Absolutely. I think, I still think it's a little bit of a push and I still don't think that a substitute keeper, you should be spending that sort of money on a backup to maintain competition. I do think that's a little bit of a, of a risk. The only way it becomes justifiable is that he genuinely believes that Raya is more likely to be number one, which I think if I was Ramsdale, I'd be rather annoyed about. Yeah. Raya lose his position as Brentford's number one towards the, the back end of the season as well. That was through injury. He got a pretty nasty head injury, I think. But you're right, he, didn't, he definitely didn't play the back end of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously Chelsea have decided that they're going to stick with Kepa, it looks like, because they've brought in Sanchez of brighton rick because sanchez was someone who did start the season well with um with brighton but then deserby decided that he wasn't really uh fit for purpose for what they wanted to do so then they brought in a um their second goalkeeper so it looks like that chelsea are going to go with with kepper at the start of the season you surprised by that one that they haven't gone in for someone like raya yeah it seems kepper's kept the job for another season by default more than anything else they don't seem to be able to offload him. He's another one that will come with a massive uh, add-ons 
and contract and everything else. So um, there, there, there's a look that Dean Henderson's available because the Nottingham Forest deal fell through. I can see Ian's delighted to see some more Manchester United chat, but I'm surprised that is one, that definitely that... done now, Rick. I saw that they were flirting well, with it still. I'm not sure what the situation is, but he's an awkward lad at the best of times. So I can't imagine he's done himself any favours in the negotiation process. And Forrest have moved and signed another keeper anyway. So if he goes, he's going to have a battle on his hands there for for first team football. And this, don't forget, this is a player who, when Ten Hag joined Ian's favourite team, he refused to, uh, he wanted to go out on loan because he said if Ten Hag sees him in training, he won't let him leave. I mean, he doesn't, he's not lacking for self-confidence. Goalkeepers, they're wired differently, aren't they, Rick? They're definitely wired different. They're strange individuals. Accidentally oh. muted myself there. Classic Free Valley's radio. No, there's people at home doing that all the way through this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so we've got around about half an hour left of the pod, I make it, which is perfect for getting into the Premier League preview side of things because... Football is back, baby. The top-level football is back. And it all starts on Friday, where Manchester City, the champions, of course, go to Vincent Company's Burnley. It's as if the supercomputer kind of hmm. just picked that at random, Adam Davis, to kick off the new campaign. <laughs> I couldn't possibly say anything. It's remarkable what... Um... What fans can spin a random scheduling event to look like to either fit or prove that the cl- the Premier League hate their team? The amount of people I see of very of clubs all in down the land, and I think if you top them all up, it's it's almost as if every single club are convinced the Premier League hate them. And I don't think that really works if all twenty of them feel that that's the case. But in terms of the game itself, the matchup itself, obviously we know that. Manchester City, of course, are, are going to be up and around it again. But Burnley, it'll be interesting to see what they can bring this time around because obviously before they went down under Dykes, they'd been they'd stayed up for quite some time playing a certain brand, and then they obviously changed it completely and and getting themselves back up. And are they going to have to adjust a little bit, or can they keep going the same way? No bigger I... test. No, I, th- I think I think this is this is probably the most quintessential or most opportune test for Vincent Company's side. Um, so of course, yeah, Burnley have come up with a very different looking side to the one that went down uh, and then performed extremely well in the Championship, as was expertly covered by a certain Three Valleys radio show covering the EFL uh, that may or may not include myself. But um, what we do have is even an even stronger Burnley side now in the Premier League as of. Uh, today, they signed one of my personal favourite players in the form of Sander Berg from Sheffield United. Oh, that's who, been completed, has it now? Yep, um, as we're recording it within the last two hours, um, which has been a real blow to me, um, given that I formerly worked for Sheffield United and really liked Sander Berg, and now he's gone to what I would see as a little bit of a sideways move, but uh, firmly uh, a Burnley side going in the right direction. They played with incredible levels of possession throughout the season last year, and it's been quite clear that Vincent Company was so heavily inspired by the Pep's, uh, the tactics of Pep Guardiola. Why wouldn't you? Because for all of the many faults that Man City may or may not have, um, they do have an excellent manager. And we saw this in the FA Cup last year. Burnley played Man City 
in the, I think it must have been the fifth round or something, and got Tonk 5-0 because they tried to play Man City at their own game. Whether Burnley will be, whether they'll stick to their principles and continue to play... They could potentially learn from that very game, possibly. I think it either goes one of two ways. You either continue down the same path of high possession in uh, Pep inspired, but you have to slightly tweak it because Kevin De Bruyne is rather good at football. Or you go the complete opposite and you try and shut up shop. But people do that a lot against City and still get thumped. So for them, they might even see it as more of a positive to just get this game out of the way and and then be able to focus more. I don't know what they've got in other fixtures in the first couple of weeks, but if you're playing people they're more used to or ones that might fit their style better, Sheffield United and Luton, for example, um, they might find themselves in a a far better position. Um, Ian, with that in mind... Um, it still wouldn't be surprising if if Manchester City end up with with three or four. If, as Adam suggests, that you know they might go the way of of playing that same way that that brought them up, then maybe Man City isn't isn't the team to do that against, and you might get a rude awakening on night one, as it will be. Yeah, match day one is going to be a bit of a shock for Burnley. I think there's no yeah, Man City is a tough are as tough as it gets, and um, yeah. If they try and match them, which they tried in the FA Cup, then there's only one result. And let's be honest, there's probably going to be one result anyway. But these Friday night games, these Sunday evening games, they don't do anything for fans, do they? They don't worry about the fans travelling. They don't worry about any of that sort of stuff. It's all Is it Friday night football? I think it might be. It's yeah, I think, be live, I, think there's, I think there's Friday night football right up until the first international break this year. So even in the first four weeks. Wow. Gosh. And there's there's going to be Saturday night or Sunday night games as as well, late kickoffs. So that messes everybody's travel plans up as well. But in terms of the game itself, Rick, on the flip side, you know, if Burnley were to pull it off, and it's just the the ultimate start to the season, isn't it? So there is an incentive there, no matter how difficult it will be. Yeah, but they're not going to, are they? I'm trying, I, Rick. I'm trying. I'm not... <laughs> they're uh, it's, it's nice because then Sky gets to put Manchester City on top of the Premier League after Friday evening's fixture, so uh, <laughs> fits in what they want. But um, you could you could argue that Burnley actually did a remarkable job getting out of the Championship because it's like they played Premier League football in a league that does tend to be a bit more basic at times, and to get success with the way they, they did it in that division was was commendable. But then they have two Man City players on loan there as well so they're not going to be with them again this season so that's going to make it make it tougher for them but they'll be a good watch this year certainly certainly different for a bit of a culture shock for Burnley fans both of what they've been used to with uh, Sean Dyche over the years well if we think it's going to go the way that we think it might Adam is it going to be the same in the 12.30 kickoff on Saturday because uh, Arsenal play Nottingham Forest so you could get a very similar kind of situation, might you, where Forrest try and play some some neat and tidy, nice stuff at the Emirates and could potentially go one way there. I still think that's an Arsenal win in my eyes. Um, Forrest is slightly interesting. We thought they might throw even more money at it and they have signed some players, but we aren't looking at the 30 signings through the door that we saw last year. So we might even recognise some of the names on the team sheet going into uh, this summer, which you imagine all... if they didn't that done that again. 
I would be ringing up FFP um, and the Premier League myself, questioning how on earth they've done that. So it's, um, I think it'll be really interesting. I think Forest will be difficult to beat. If I remember, did they beat Arsenal last season? I think they did. So it is towards the end of the season, wasn't it? I think it's not a guarantee. Um, Yeah, not 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 that any Premier League game really is a guarantee at any point. That's what makes it so entertaining. But I think um, I still think Arsenal have got a little bit too much. They don't have too many injuries. Declan Rice is looking good. Um, Urien Timber has really impressed in pre-season as well. And there's someone else they've signed, but that's completely escaped me. Uh, Havertz, still Havertz, who still hasn't quite decided which position he is in yet. So that'll be interesting to see. Plus, you can't look past the likes of Erdegaard and Saka. It's um, it's a good Arsenal side, and we just need to all admit it. Don't you think that they'll be a bit, a bit exhausted after winning the World Cup on Sunday? Well, very, very possibly. I mean, if, if they've recovered after the open top bus parade through North London after winning the <laughs> major, major trophy. Why don't they stop outside of Tottenham? Very probably. Just a <laughs> well, it's still it's still one more than Tottenham have had in a while, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose it's very nice of them if they did that because Spurs fans could actually see what a trophy looks like before it disappears <laughs> off into the distance. Um, in terms of in terms of Forest, though, Ian, do you think it might just be a case of if they stay up, then happy days? But that that might not be enough for someone like Cooper to keep his job because I get the impression that with the pressure that he's under our last time they'll probably the ownership will probably be thinking well we want at least a mid-table top 10 push which might not necessarily be realistic yeah it looked, it looked at times last season that he was going to be sacked according to this source and that source and then they came out and signed a new deal so anything really is possible at nottingham forest but yeah survival's a must anything higher than 15 is probably a positive for them but uh, give them a couple of years that'd be a well-established premier league team i'm sure they they do play some good stuff, and they that atmosphere at the the Nottingham Forest That's the key, is isn't it? Incredible. That's yeah. the key. Um, looking ahead to to the three o'clock on Saturday, you've got Bournemouth, West Ham, Brighton, Luton, of course. That we'll talk a little bit about them shortly. Everton against Fulham and Sheffield United, Palace. So, just focusing on Luton and Sheffield United. Um, Adam, quickly touching on Sheffield United first because you've just touched on. Um, Berger, or that they've obviously lost to Burnley. They've lost their striker from last season as well, who's gone to Marseille, I believe. And they haven't really got much coming in the other way. Is this going to be a real, real struggle for for Sheffield United this this year? You would expect. I wouldn't be surprised if Sheffield United finished below Luton this year, subject to how poor. Uh, not so much, as I say, it's a fairly decent squad that got them promoted. That you know, it's difficult to get out of the championship, whichever way you look at it. Uh, there aren't, there isn't nearly enough exciting things coming at the top end. They relied very heavily on Illiman and Dai last year, who has now left for relatively cheap to go to Marseille. Um, he is, he is from, um, I believe, he grew up in Marseille, so it's, it's not that much of a surprise that he's that he's done so. But it's still a shame. Um, if you're trying to survive. Premier League survival with Ollie McBurney up front. You've kind of asked him for it, I would argue. Um, I really don't like Ollie McBurney, can you tell? Um, they've lost their key midfielder. Defence isn't We'll too be bad. watching that one with interest now this season, no. Adam. I know, you watch, you'll get top goal scorer now, and I'll be fuming. Yeah. Um, but they've still got a fairly decent back line. They are starting to sign a few players. I think they've signed a guy from 
from Brazil, Victor Souza, I think it was, that's come through today. Um, Anis Slamani, who is not the one that used to play for Leicester, but is a half-decent striker from Denmark, who looks not too bad, but it's not... It doesn't look enough to, to survive... Um, relegation one more year there's there's plenty of issues going on off the field as well which i think is very heavily dictating how sheffield united are playing over the next couple of months hecking bottom will have a very very difficult job because simply put the owners don't want to be there anymore and there's lots of issues regarding i think well there was definitely very strong rumors that they were on the way out when they were in the championship and now they know they're going to get all the premier league money maybe things will slightly change Rick, do you think that will probably be the difference between Sheffield United and Luton this time around? The fact that they might you know, be both in a similar kind of financial situation, but, well, Adam will know better than me, but I mean in terms of the fact that obviously with Luton, it's all fresh, shiny and new, and it will be more enthusiasm than whereas Sheffield United might be looking at it from a more, you know, glass half empty kind of perspective. Yeah, well, Luton have really got, they've got a free hit, haven't they? Everything is new and shiny. Shades, and- shades of Blackpool? season possibly is this an orange thing you basing us oh yeah it's quite an orange but uh, they've made a good signing today actually ross barkley's gone yeah to the looter now that is that's a, a decent i was talking to ian earlier to Rick, and it was one of those isn't it where it's either going to be a masterstroke or it'll be a complete disaster and it'll be out for six months it's one of those yeah. there'll be no in between he could motivate them and inspire them or he could be a, a millstone around their neck having him around the place but he's undoubtedly he's, he's a good he's a good player but came out of nowhere as well really yeah from yeah, our perspective but, well Luton have got a, like I said they've got they've got a free hit at it really it's a day out for all their supporters every fixture they're going to be an awful lot more forgiving tough start at Brighton do you expect yeah you'd expect Brighton or potentially to two very good footballing sides yeah it'd be, certainly be, a, be an entertaining match to, to, to go along and, and watch which is obviously why Sky have decided they're not interested and it's a three o'clock Kick off on a on on a Saturday. Sheffield uh, United, their supporters are a little bit more used to it. They've normally got a chip on the shoulder anyway, so I, I think Adam's right. I wouldn't surprise me at all if Sheffield United struggled more than than Luton simply because of the the burden of expectation and the the lack of any sort of expenditure. And they, they're not really showing that they want to be there. Really, you get to the Premier League and they're not really going to hit the ground running unless they're going to surprise us all with something in the next 48 hours. The 5.30 match then, which will be live on the telly, is uh, Newcastle Villa. And Ian, two teams that are probably expected to do quite well again this season, you would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I was just reading an article earlier about um, the Amazon Prime documentaries for Newcastle's out on Friday. So that'll be a good watch. Do or, do or nothing, is it? Die or nothing, something like that. But yeah, two teams going head-to-head. Villa really well established now, really. Newcastle, you probably have to say, if they're not up there, then Eddie Howe's going to be in trouble. Expectations keep rising. And also, very funny, I see that the away end, which is like in the gods at Newcastle, it's now their safe standing end. Could you imagine standing that high up? <laughs> that's <laughs> a not... funny one with Vertigo. One other thing no. about the, New- the Newcastle, that they've been going to be penalised, as well as adding extra time on for, for wasting time, which Newcastle were notorious for last season. They love it. I think I saw somewhere that you're only allowed one member of your coaching staff yeah. in, in the technical work. What's Jason <laughs> yes. Tindall going to do? Somebody's yeah, going to have to Cooper, nail him down um, to a seat. I mean, Tindall's going to hate that. Mark Cooper and Chris Todd got pulled up on that several times on Saturday. 
did they? So yeah. it, is, it is real. That's a real thing, is it? Yeah, Arteta got, the, Arteta got the first booking, didn't he, under that yeah. rule? Yeah. Asking for a booking. It's about time <laughs> for that. That's the most annoying thing that, whether it be an official or a player yeah. can do, is wave an imaginary card. Just bugger off. Um, Tindall's going to be out of a job. Is there a, is there a shout for Villa to be in the conversation for a potential top four, Rick? Or still they, an awful lot to do, really? I think they'll be in a very similar situation or position in the league as to where they were last season. They've got European football. They've got a manager that likes European Which football. Which they could potentially win. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They've seen, I think, the whole West Ham situation last season. People mock it. and Same colours. You, you do love a colour. <laughs> <laughs> everything is colour-based this week. But, um, I mean, West Ham have shown that by winning it, the momentum and, and and the atmosphere around the club and how everybody loves it, and it's a trophy at the end of the day. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Villa have a long run in that. And I, I think they'll be pushing the European places again next season, whether or not they, they got enough to to break into the top four. But I would be, personally, I'd be surprised if Newcastle stay in the top four because they were ahead of schedule getting there last season. They've got extra burden of, of games in Europe this year as well. And, and only one manager in the technical area. I mean, they're going to be buggered. <laughs> um, this Sunday showing is uh, quite tasty. You've got Brentford Spurs uh, at two o'clock. Um Adam, I'll come to you with that one because that's got the potential of kind of a high-scoring draw. I don't know what you think. I'm I'm very interested in this one because what we will see is truly how effective are Brentford without Ivan Tony, which is still yet to be determined. Brian and Wemo can do it sometimes, but can he do it with the same level of consistency required? We don't know because I think uh, I think Tony's. Uh, banned until at least January so that they're, they're stuck with it for six months whichever way we look at it plus they haven't necessarily signed too many forwards that you go yeah they're gonna get goals there but you also can't look past the fact that Brentford always seem to do very well and play some nice football and are very difficult to beat so that will be very interesting I think I'll I think it might be from a I think it's the most unknown match of the whole weekend the reason for it is because we don't really know how Brentford are going to play. We don't know how Tottenham are going to play either because because Tottenham have had a weird pre-season. They, they've lost to minnows from Singapore and things like that, but then they've also made Bar- they played incredible stuff against Barcelona, I think yesterday in pre-season, were 2-1 up with 10 minutes to go and ended up losing 4-2 in true Spurs fashion, but played some incredible stuff. I'm really excited about... James Madison for Tottenham. I think he could be really, really good on the proviso Kane stays, which we've discussed before on here, but we still don't know whether he's going to be in a Bayern shirt or a Tottenham shirt um, over the next couple of weeks and how well Tottenham adapt to the life under Anka Poskotoglu. So it's going to be an interesting one. Nice. (laughs) Well done. I've been Um... rehearsing. Like Adam touches on, though, Rick, it does kind of have that feel of not quite sure what what might end up there because both teams could have the potential to kind of both score and also concede as well. Yeah, it could just be a, like a basketball match. It could be a, attacking. You attack, then we'll attack, then you attack, then we'll attack. So And um, then Spurs lose. Inevitably, at, at the end, you know, but uh, yeah. 
it really said how, wonder how Spurs will play. It was just badly, probably. The, well, the game at, at half past four, I also think, is a is a difficult one to call because the Chelsea Liverpool situation. Um, Chelsea have obviously got loads of changes that they put into the team this year, but they're star player if you like the star striker that they bought in and who's done really really well over the last well, year 18 months or so it's now going to be out for four months and as well as liverpool have done just with the two signings so far i don't think that's enough for the amount of outgoings that there have been so welchy i could see a chelsea win a liverpool win or a draw here <laughs> obviously it's got to be one of them but you see what i mean yeah it could literally be anything yeah, I mean, last year it was battle for 10th place, so we'll see what this year brings. But no, I, I think you are right. It could be anything. The new form midfield is, is lacking, though. It's seriously lacking, so they're going to need to get strength on that. They still but, need that six, don't they? Yeah. That guy from Southampton's probably... That Liverpool probably going to make 50 million quid and say, there we go, just have it. We're having. It's taken like them long enough. It feels like that's just gone a bit silly, hasn't it? When they've gone up yeah. to as close as, say, 40 seven million euros or whatever it is <laughs> it's just like just close the gap now come on guys yes yeah, it's, it's silly just just pay the money you know what southampton are like we know that we're southampton's feeder team so what's what's there to lose rick do you agree that this game is a little bit of a not quite sure what you might expect from either team do you think they're similar for for that game as well as the brentford spurs match yeah it's one of those ones that you don't think that either of them will be as poor this season as they were were last season because especially Chelsea they've got apparently they've been playing well is there too much change at both clubs too much change I think it's it's inevitable and necessary change from both of them but I see that the uh, the Premier League detectives have been out and they're looking to charge mm. Chelsea with financial irregularities and the last team is, a thought, team in blue. Mm. But they don't come from Stockport, so clearly they won't be allowed to get away with it. Adam, are you able to elaborate on that? I saw that they've been charged. It's not... They haven't been charged for now. They've been charged for a fine... No, they've been charged under the Abramovich era. So, do we see whether there's a case of are they going to get time-barred like we definitely think Man City are going to do? We don't know. Have they definitely pushed it and should FFP, uh, well, have they broken the rules? I think they're less likely to have than Man City, um, simply because Chelsea are very good at selling players and that usually makes up the shortfall. Um, will they get a slap on the wrist and a pointless fine if they have broken it? Yes. But we're, we're looking at at least two, three years ago um and by since then, I think they're more likely to have broken it under the Bowley era than they have the Abramovich era. So who knows? Which is saying something in such a short space of time that he's been the owner. Oh, it, it, it's nuts. Um, Abramovich spent £900 million funding Chelsea over a 19-year span. That is just bonkers in terms of the money spent. That That's not just... So that's not the... He's had to put that in. That's how much of a loss they've made in 19 years under Abramovich. And Bowley's gone and blown, what's it, 650 million in 12 months? The working man's game, football, you know. <laughs> oh, very much so. It's just not the type of work we're used to. Blimey, just those numbers are just astronomical, aren't they? Um, so you can confirm, so who, who, Adam, um... you're not the investigator that's going into Chelsea then? 
no, um, <laughs> I, I think I, I couldn't even possibly say even if I was. Rick? Uh, who, who, who's inherited uh, Jordan Henderson's rainbow laces? I'm assuming he hasn't taken them to, uh, to Saudi with him. I think they've probably been nicely tucked up in a box for ready for someone else who actually means it next time. Have you, uh, yeah, actually mean. Have just you seen occurred to me that I'm wearing well? rainbow socks. Well, you're very keen on colours this, <laughs> this week. It's a coloured theme. So maybe I've taken uh, it on. <laughs> maybe in Dave's house, yeah. <laughs> um, the last game of the whole, and sorry, Ian, but well, this is maybe good for you because the last game See is later, Manchester Ian. United Wolves. The so they've. They've, the Premier League have put it on last, right. so you don't have to talk about it till the end, Ian. But as we've just been touching on, the fact that Wolves, with all their issues that they've had um, this week going into the game, everything would probably point, even if you don't want it to, to a Manchester United win there. Yeah. Please, please don't nod on the podcast. It's not good for listeners. I forgot that, yeah. <laughs> I forgot what I was doing on radio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to go for Man United. They are actually a very good footballing side, you know, for all the hate that we do. I do. There it is, Rick. Right. There it is. There you go, Clip Rick. that up. Clip that up. There you we'll go. That one. But, you know, it's, it. it's typical, isn't it? This week, if anyone's going to get a new manager bounce, yeah. it's going to be bloody <laughs> wolves, isn't it? <laughs> it's always one of those, Rick, I find, where you're playing a club that's kind of seen in a bit of disarray and you think, oh, yeah, absolute opportunity. But on the yeah. flip side, if you then don't win, you've kind of then got no excuses. And you... It's a no-win situation, isn't yeah. it, really? You'd, you'd, you'd think that anything other than yeah. uh, United battering them is going to be... If they win 1-0 or something, it's going to be seen as a disappointment and a failure. Oh, you should be beating Wolves and you should be putting up a cricket score against them so uh let's just keep fingers crossed for Ian's sake. Did I see the new signing's got a back string? Yeah, but just it, apparently he's... From walking to the car to the training ground or something. Uh, what's wrong with him? He's gonna be back for the for the Arsenal game against the World Cup champions. So that's that that'll be a big fixture. <laughs> that'll be a massive fixture. Um in terms of the top four chances, is that is that the aim, Rick? Or obviously I'm presume obviously you'd want more than that, but if it turned out to be a top four finish again, then and consolidate it in another year in the Champions League, is that good enough at this point in time? Are you snapping my hand off for that? Yeah, I think so because I do think that the um, the Premier League, the standard of the top six plus the hundred and fifteen, has has gone up this year. <laughs> I mean, you... And then whatever number is associated with Chelsea. Exactly. Chelsea's whatever Chelsea's number is. Um, yeah, but you, I think that the standard of that group is, has increased. Um, Liverpool won't be as bad again. Chelsea won't be as bad again. So it's going to be even harder for those second, third and fourth places. So I think if you if you fall into that, then then you've had a you've had a good season. So, yeah, I, I'd settle for it the same achievements as, as as last year definitely so i think i'm right in saying we've probably got about three or four minutes left until the the producer might tip me the wink in a minute five minutes around about five minutes left to go and boys can you believe it we've completed our premier league uh preview which is amazing because we don't always get through um a running order on this show because we're just so passionate about what we talk about and we end up going well he's not here is he <laughs> <laughs> it's gone straight in with a culprit there. Straight have we mentioned in. every team for the first time ever? Um, not quite. I did kind of brush over some of the, the three o'clock. So Everton, we'll do that now. Everton, Fulham. 
I personally still think, obviously easy for me to say as a Liverpool fan, but I still think it might be quite a struggle for Everton because, Adam, if you look at the type of player that they brought in, you know, they've got the likes of uh, Dan Juma, Ashley Young, of course, bags of experience, but <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily going to solve their goal-scoring issues that have been the main issue. No, not necessarily, but you can never write off a Sean Dyche side for being well, there is that. So it's um I, I think we will see a better Everton side than we saw last year, but it's not if I think if anyone that thinks that they're gonna now jump straight back into sort of Will it be enough for the fans? Well, this is this is the problem. If they jump immediately back into mid table, I think that's gonna be a bit of a push. I can sort of see them hovering around fourteenth, fifteenth and it going down to sort of the last three or four games. I think that's that's very, very possible. There's a lot more experience. There's a lot more belief, I think, in that squad. They just need a, a complete reset from it all. Um, but, yeah, can they get Dominic Calvert-Lewin, A, off the injury table, and then B, actually shooting? That that will be something. Um, having to play someone like Neil Mope is definitely not the way to Premier League's guaranteed Premier League survival. Um yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. But I, I quite like the signings they've made. Ashley Young has looked pretty good. He looked particularly good when he played for, for Villa last year. And um, Dan Juma looked very good when he was in a Bournemouth shirt, when he was, um, that was in the Championship, was very good out in Spain, was completely non-existent at Tottenham, and now we're not sure how he's going to do at Everton. So um, a lot more to be done with not a lot of wiggle room, because they definitely are up at the FFP, top of their cap. Is it the last season at Goodison as well? It will be. Um, I'm I'm told um, the stadium is coming along very nicely. I've got a, quite a few friends that are based out in Liverpool. It's it's taking shape very nicely now. What league they'll be playing in? I think it's a huge mm. if they end up in the Championship uh, with that quality. That'll be the team. narrative all season, won't it? It was the same when West Ham went into their new ground that it was just they can't be in this ground in the uh, in the Championship, and that'll be the line that's said every, all year, I expect. I reckon I reckon it's going to be a case of if I have a pound every time I hear it, I'll have I'll yeah. have quite a lot of pounds by the end of the season. Make um, sure you declare them all. Always, always. Just lastly, then, because we haven't got very much time left at all. Um, Fulham and Crystal Palace, um, Rick. They don't play each other, but they're just two teams that I think are left that we haven't spoken about, and probably two teams that you might expect to just be mid-table there or thereabouts. Is that fair? Pretty much. That's, that's exactly where you would anticipate them to Obviously, be. Obviously, no that Zaha. Is that going to prove to be quite an issue for, for Palace? Depends how Eze and, and them get up. They got on all right with him last season. He missed an awful lot of games last year as well. Elise as well, of course, if they can still keep yeah. him. There was talk that those two actually played better in the team with, with uh, without him uh, without him there. So we'll see. When I said just a minute ago, said about uh, the big teams all doing well, of course, and Spurs. Well, that seems an appropriate place to finish this <laughs> Premier League preview. So, Rick, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Good to talk to Always you. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. 115 blessings to you. Ian Welch, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks a million. Adam, Ooh. great to speak to you. Thank you very much. And that's all for this week as we get ready for the Premier League at the weekend. So that's it for this week's episode of... Football? Bloody hell!